0: Ramachaluka di Patti, Saham Patti, Katan Jalia Varangaya Santita jaka Yatika, desetu said to solve. Go out to or a hat or some ma to I trust that I can speak on behalf of the Sangha here at Hana Monastery and when I express the the delight, the gladness at seeing the Salman era joining the community. Mm. You've been here for over a year now and I've been impressed and Mm. happy to see the diligence and the commitment that you've been making over these months and, and I'm sure not all of it has been easy. And when you first arrived here from from Spain and didn't know what it would be like living in a, in a Buddhist monastery in, in Britain. You, you had been living in a Buddhist monastery in Burma before, but this was going to be different and you didn't know what it would be like and but you adjusted, you adapted very well, very quickly. and. Also, you were quite quickly given the job of kitchen manager and you didn't know how to be kitchen manager. And, However, once again, you adjusted and gave yourself to the task and did a very good job at managing the kitchen, an important part of the monastery. And most recently, when it was time to prepare for this ceremony, this papaja ceremony of becoming a salmoner, you, you were given a length of cloth and then told that you need to mark it out and cut it up and sew it together and create a robe and you never made a robe before and never used a sewing machine before and once again you, you didn't know how to do it but you gave yourself into it and, and did a very good job and in fact I asked recently the monk who was helping you with the sewing and and he confirmed that you were a good student, you paid attention and this is uh, an important aspect of this training that when we find ourselves in a situation where we don't know what we're doing, that we're able to acknowledge that we don't know what we're doing if we knew what we were doing, then we wouldn't be suffering as much as we do but because we're living much of our life not knowing and unawareness that it's important that we're able to acknowledge that it's called modesty it's called humility and and when there's modesty and humility it means that we are in a fit state to learn and, and we're a suitable student and when somebody is young as you are it's a a lot of advantages that come with being young, one of them being that there is a, a keenness and a readiness and an alertness to learn new things. When, when you're young, everything is still new. We're not operating with the same amount of assumptions about life, and that can be a great advantage. Also, with that, there can be an agility, and, and I've noticed this in, in your case, the ability to, to adapt to working in the kitchen to doing other duties and and learning the chanting and for a long period of your time here you were the only Anagarika I mean, during this period of lockdown because of the pandemic it brought extra pressure and, and yet you have the agility and ability to adjust and to take on different tasks and this is also something that is, is easier when you're younger, it's not just physical agility when you're younger, but also mental agility, and also uh, energy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When you're young, we have much more energy, and that's, that can be a real asset in this, in this training, the, the endeavour that we're embracing here to look into the actuality, the actual reality of life. How can we learn from this life? Well, this is not a meditation centre. This is not just how can we set in meditation more hours of the day. Mm. Setting meditation, walking meditation is certainly part of our life, but there's much more to it than that. There's life, and our determination needs to be to learn from life, from everything that happens. And So when we have energy, when we have agility, when we have interest, then that's, that's an asset and something that certainly at this stage of your training... You want to value. While we're talking about being young, it's also suitable to acknowledge that there are some difficulties with being young as well. And, and uh, same thing with having all that energy; it can mean that we don't have something that is really essential, and that is patience. And, As probably everybody here knows, the Buddha held up patience. He said, patient endurance is the ultimate transformer. It's profoundly important. And when we are young and we have a lot of energy, we can be sometimes in too much of a hurry. We don't have patience. We can be overly idealistic. The creative, enthusiastic intelligence can imagine how things can be otherwise, but without patience, we can demand that things be otherwise. And... That is a uh, difficult uh, Like with a, an oak tree. We love oak trees. Beautiful big oak trees are wonderful to sit under, but uh, it takes a long time for an oak tree to become a full-mature oak tree. You can't sit under an acorn. <laughs> acorn its not much good for anything, really, unless you're a squirrel. And, uh, acorns... <laughs> acorns take a very long time, a very long time to become wonderful great big oak trees and and if we're in a hurry then we can become impatient, and then impatience leads to stress. And so, and so it is with other aspects of life we can look at society and we can see all sorts of things that would be only if we could change this is social structures that are really inappropriate and damaging the human beings living on the planet damaging the planet itself and Yet it takes a very long time. A lot of skill. And we can't exercise that skill if we don't have patience. Right? Likewise with things we want to change within ourselves. We, we see faults within our character that we want to change. And and if we're overly idealistic about how we think we should be and in too much of a hurry we end up creating obstructions. So... Yes, there's lots of advantages from being young, but we need to bear in mind that there are also certain difficulties that come with that. There are lots of advantages also, believe it or not, that come with being older. When you're older, there's a better chance that just patience and equanimity come more naturally because we've seen how things repeat themselves. We've seen the patterns of life. It's just happens naturally. I was recently speaking with a, a very long time friend or supporter of the monastery here, one of our trustees actually and she was talking about how as she's approaching the end of her career, she's noticing what a different attitude she has to it from the young people who are just starting out in their career. She's not dismissive or, or undermining the young people starting out but how they don't recognise patterns, they don't see that certain situations repeat themselves and, and As you get older, if you're living mindfully, living skillfully, then you're able to recognise these patterns so oh, here we are, we're with that one again. And what can we learn this time? That's what matters. Not, oh, here we're with that same problem again. No, it's not necessarily like that. Uh, uh, Last time we were transiting this territory, we weren't the same person as we are now. We're a different person, so there's a different opportunity to learn. And so... But this is not something that's necessarily immediately obvious when we're young. It's one of the advantages of being older. You can recognize the patterns of life, and it's easier to learn from these patterns. And, and if we're, as I said, learning, if we're living mindfully and, and living skillfully, well, then there's a better chance that patience and equanimity will evolve. Equanimity is not resignation, it's a, it's a quality that comes with an increased degree of clarity, this is how it is. I was talking also to a senior monk in our community actually he has been practicing for over 20 years and recently we were having a conversation about these things and he commented how these days he reflects back to what it was like when he was young and, and how he was caught up in always trying to become how he thought he should be. Yes, the Buddha taught about striving, but when there's striving without balanced perspective, when there's striving without mature mindfulness, when there's striving without modesty and without humility, then that striving becomes idealistic. And he was talking about how these days he feels what's interesting and what characterises his practice is learning how to be more fully receptive of where he's at already, right now. How to be more accurate in receiving himself as he is in this moment and with an understanding that this is what contributes to letting go, understanding this is what contributes to deepening and strengthening and progress in practice. However, when we don't have the benefit of experience, then there's the tendency to be caught up in the the uh, uh, expectation that progress means that we always have the sense of getting better in our practice. Sometimes progress means accepting the sense of failure and meeting ourselves in that place. And so one of the advantages of, of being older, particularly if we've been living mindfully and skillfully, is that that becomes more evident. And likewise, of course, there are disadvantages with being older. However, whether we feel that we have the assets of youth and vitality and, and agility or whether we're young or whether we're old, what really matters is whether there's a determination to learn from this life, this life that we're living right now. What the Buddha was encouraging us to do was to invest in the energy that we have, the energy of attention, into this experience, the experience that we already have direct access to. Our our interest and our emphasis is on how can we feel more accurately what we're already feeling, whatever it is, whether we're feeling good or we're not feeling good, how can we feel it fully, accurately in the whole body, whole mind? Is that possible? Developing the faculties that we we have, the, the faculty of Mindfulness, the the faculty of skillful restraint, the faculty of wise reflection. These faculties are uh, potentials for all of us, but we need to work on developing them so that when life impacts on us, whether it's with joy or with sorrow, can we really meet it? Can we really meet it and not default to some conditioned reaction? Whether it's with joy or with sorrow, it's just saying we can resist life and spoil the moment or we can meet life and learn from it. And particularly as the Buddha was teaching in the Dhamma Chakra Sutta that, that the experience of limitation, it's, it's very easy for us to feel like we're failing because we're suffering, we're failing because we feel afraid or we're failing because we feel angry, or we're failing because we feel lonely. The encouragement in this teaching is to not judge those experiences as as something going wrong, but ready ourselves, ready our hearts and minds and bodies to be able to meet that experience, the feeling of loneliness, the feeling of fear. Can we receive it, or do we resist it? And again, it doesn't, these habits of, of resistance, uh, of reality, don't change overnight. Like, like that acorn turning into an oak tree, it takes a very long time, so it requires great patience. But it requires agility, and it requires an interest and a keenness to learn. And it requires the humility and modesty of knowing that we don't know how to do this. Just because we don't know how to let go of anger doesn't mean to say that we're failing. We need to know that we don't know and that's where we meet ourselves. That's the truth. If that's the truth, that's where we meet ourselves. If we haven't met ourselves at that point then we're not going to be able to take the next step. So resisting reality, whether it's dukkha or whether it's sukha. Either way we can spoil reality and, and not learn the lesson. Many years ago I remember when I was a young monk and, and I forget the reason I was in Bangkok but I happened to be there staying in what Bowon, at a time when there were a, a large gathering of uh, we passing our lay teachers from America visiting and I think if I remember correctly they were on a tour visiting living Buddhist masters and, and later on or, or perhaps before that they'd been to visit uh, Lumpur Cha and on this occasion they were in Wat in Bangkok and attending a lecture, I think it was on a Wednesday night, given by the abbot of the monastery there, Somdet sangwan and, and most of the people on the occasion were sitting in chairs, which was, it was a, a royal monastery and that was the convention, at monastery, but there was one, one fellow, one smiley fellow was sitting on the floor right up close to where the Somdet was sitting and, and giving his discourse. And, and he, from time to time, would let out this sadhu, sadhu, which was you know, something that from the Hindu tradition, or particularly in India, was understood and, and practiced, and an expression of appreciation and gladness at the discourse that was being delivered. And so the Sondik continued giving his his talk, and, and uh, this fellow who some of you will know the name Ramdas was sitting there in the front and, and from time to time raising his hands in anji and letting out a sadhu sadhu until eventually the the abbot stopped his discourse and leant forward and looked down and and commented. He said, rather you should know that even sukha is dukkha. The tendency to get lost is not just in dukkha but also Sukha also in happiness. We can get lost in joy and we can get lost in sorrow. When we get lost like that, it's called, in Buddhist language, it's called getting lost in the world. Worldliness, in Buddhist speak, is, it's not about what goes on outside the monastery. The world is, a, is talking about an inner world, the psychological world, the mind states, the moods that we experience, the mental activity, the emotional activity, the feelings, the sensations, this inner world that we Live with all the time. Do we understand this world? Do we know it? That's one reason why the Buddha is called Lokawi Do, somebody who knows the world, the knower of the world. He knows the world accurately. This is not knowing the countries of the world, or it's about knowing the inner world, the reality of the inner world. And this is our effort. This is our task. And well, a lot of the time, unfortunately, we're caught up in the stories, the stories that we tell ourselves, born out of the conditioning. we've grown up in and we've been telling ourselves the stories for so long that they're they're utterly convincing like the story that I can't handle this situation or or I always get angry when this happens or I can't handle loneliness or, or I am the best person in this monastery or I am the worst person in this monastery and these stories or I'm going to live in the monastery for the rest of my life I'm going to become a great Dhamma teacher. These stories that we tell ourselves are just that. This is the world. If we don't have sufficient mindfulness, skillful restraint and wise reflection, then this is the world that we live in. The world of stories. And The Buddha referred to these stories as, well he talked about the one who makes the stories as the house builder maybe you know the Dhammapada verse 153 and 154 where he talks about the house builder that he's been looking for for a long time the house builder is one who builds these abidings tells these stories spins these yarns these places that we get stuck and that limit us and cause us so much suffering And, and then in verse 154 where the Buddha says now you have been seen and you shall build no more your rafters are dislodged the ridge pole is broken all craving is ended my heart is one with the unconditioned thank you very much this evening for your attention Anda meyang dhamma kathaya salut.